0: Hello and welcome to Sleeping Giants, the East Anglian Daily Times and Ipswich Stars sports podcast. It seems like it was a return to type for Ipswich Town last weekend. After the promise and enterprise shown in the 2-1 win against Sheffield Wednesday, the Blues capitulated against Nottingham Forest and lost 2-0 at home. Suffice to say, the fans were not happy. So to look back at that result and preview the QPR game on Saturday is our chief football writer Stuart Watson. We'd hoped Ipswich had turned a corner at Sheffield Stuart, but it seems that Town's side went missing in front of the Sky cameras on Saturday evening, didn't it?
1: Yeah, we sat here and we were desperately trying to sort of talk things up and be positive, weren't we, after after the Sheffield Wednesday game? And you know things were were not buoyant, um, but certainly things had kept a lid on on the frustrations from the Rotherham game to go and win that game. at Sheffield and maybe people were thinking okay well you know we'll give them a chance here you know McGoldrick back, Williams back, mix picking a, a more balanced team, the team that many have been crying out for and and, I was pretty pretty confident going into the Forest game in terms of my predictions and, and looking at Forest's form. Um, unfortunately it's becoming a bit of a running joke that when teams have a an unwanted statistic against their name that, that that's uh, okay. Well, if we've got Ipswich next, we'll, we'll end that sort of thing. It's um, gallows humour at the moment. I don't think Forest had an away win to their name. They didn't have a clean sheet to their name, uh, and they came away two nil winners pretty comfortably in the end.
0: Yeah, I've got a friend who's a Nottingham Forest fan from university, and he was uh, incredibly pessimistic before the game, and absolutely um astounded afterwards because they didn't expect to get anything from, from the town game. What do you think went wrong? Because as you were saying we were buoyed by the Sheffield Wednesday game and then we came into this with David McGoldrick starting a game. We had enough options to leave Johnny Williams on the bench. There was uh, Josh Emanuel playing at right back which is something that a lot of the fans have wanted. It was an attacking lineup. It was almost everything that the fans were after and yet it didn't go to plan.
1: I think conceding a goal after 17 seconds from your own kickoff was was kind of uh, the biggest problem out of a number of problems. Um, For all the criticism that Mick McCarthy's got, and I've been amongst his his critics certainly over uh, the last year, I, I did feel for him the way the game went on Saturday because you cannot legislate for something like that happening. He's not out there on the pitch making those mistakes in the first few seconds um, and there was a host of mistakes it wasn't one player messing up there was two or three mistakes that added up to to one big one in terms of the ball going in the back of the net and it's a glib thing to say but timing of goals I think are crucial in games the fact that there was one seconds from the kickoff a- and the second one equally as bad to give away seconds before half time made it a, a massively uphill battle but um yeah to I mean how often can we keep saying they're unlike Ipswich Town goals to concede because the two against Rotherham were were abysmal and the two against Forest were were probably worse so we always say oh, it's out of character of a Mick McCarthy side and of course you know they kept seven clean sheets from 11 earlier in the season we can we can't suddenly forget that but um yeah it, it was a mess from start to finish um uh, the, the defensive shambles first half which I think was was the biggest factor because it allowed Forrest to then just park virtually everyone behind the ball for the second half. You can then pick to pieces the second half and say which didn't have enough invention, didn't have enough ideas. Was there enough tactical clarity coming from McCarthy? It was hard to work out what the formation was at time. He just chucked on a few subs more in, in desperation and hope. The two Tom Lawrence dives at the end in the box and, and I've got no qualms with, with calling them that from, from watching it back. Kind of summed up the desperation. They didn't really know how to to, to pick the lock and the biggest concern with Ipswich at the moment is when they go behind they don't seem to have a plan to, to get back into it.
0: A lot of um, people have obviously voiced their dissatisfaction with everything that happened. We did a web chat on Monday in which the fans obviously gave their views. Um, one of the things that McCarthy's said during this bad spell for switch is that he he can take all the abuse and criticism that the fans want to give him but get behind the players on the pitch give them the support during the 90 minutes and at least show them that the crowd is behind them now he said that they had a bad day at the office are the, the fans buying that and was it really more down to the players on that occasion because there was some um negative reaction, there was some booing at half-time and everything. Did, did the fans get behind the players, and if they didn't was that more the players' fault than, than what McCarthy was doing tactically?
1: Yeah, some really interesting points in there. I'll kind of try and take them one by one. Uh, was it a bad day at the office against Rotherham? Uh, a one-off bad day at the office? No, not at all. As I've said to you before, it's 10-11 months of of particularly turgid uninspiring form particularly at portman road so that was kind of a uh, the straw that broke the camel's back i thought the reaction from f- at the end of the rotherham game so are fans buying that no not at all i don't think mick helps himself in terms of the tone and the words that he uses in his press conferences whether he gets embroiled in two-way discussions with journalists uh, and he's not thinking enough about uh, it being a platform to get his views across to fans, but I, I definitely get the sense that even his biggest supporters are getting quite fed up with with the sort of borderline dismissive tone that, that he's using. Um, what else were we discussing in there? Um, well, I'm fans in? are sort of talking about
0: fans. The players being to blame for yeah. The so the h- who's to
1: blame for the Forest result? It's a bit. Uh, it's kind of brought all that up to a head. We've been discussing all year about the. Uh, groundhog Day, treading water nature of Ipswich Town Football Club, um, and you can work it backwards. Really, um, I actually thought on Saturday the players needed to take a hell of a lot of responsibility because I say Mick's not out there heading and kicking the ball. They were the one that contrived to concede two two terrible goals, regardless of the tactical instructions second half. They're good enough players. They should be able to use their own now and brains to try and work out that just slinging cross after cross into the box wasn't working. Um, so I, I thought you know, that's that's a good team that was out there, a team that a lot of people would have picked, as you rightly pointed out, and uh, once they crossed that white line, they got to take a bit of responsibility. The bulk of that team were the team that finished sixth. They've not become bad players or shouldn't have become Bad players overnight. We're not talking about a team that's kind of questionably underperforming at the moment in sort of seventh, eighth, ninth. They're down there in seventeenth, and uh, it's not completely out of the question that they could get dragged into to something uh, you know resembling a relegation scrap. So yes, the players have got to take huge responsibility, but it's part of a, a far bigger picture. Um, the debate about whether you know mixed tactics stifle his, his best players his most creative players does he get yes there's no question that he turns average players in into better ones does he turn good players into average ones that's the counter argument um, and then of course we go even further into the debate and we talk about Marcus Evans and uh, and the lack of investment okay the wage bill's competitive, you know, loan deals don't come cheap, and that's you know, they're all the, the arguments that the club will use when you speak to Ian Milne and other people at the club. But we've seen a string of, of players go for, for decent transfer fees, we've not seen it in reinvested into transfer fees, and if you stand still you go backwards, and uh, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. So frustrations on a number of accounts.
0: Given all that. Do you think we're likely to see a reaction from from Mick, from the players, from the fans during the QPR game this weekend? Are the fans going to be more easily riled by the players? Are the players going to try and go out there and, and try and capitalise really early on? Is Mick going to try and go for an even more attacking lineup if that's possible? Are things from the Forest game going to have a, a big noticeable impact on... What happens early on on Saturday?
1: Well, I've been saying for a while that Ipswich... I mean, if you look at... uh, Obviously, the goals scored in general, it is pretty poor. I think joint lowest goal scorers were Wigan in in the league this season. Um, But I just think going even further back, Ipswich have never really been fast starters at Portman Road for a while now. First half goals um, is a dreadful record. I can't remember the stat off the top of my head. But I don't recall many games where Ipswich have really exploded out of the blocks and stamped their authority on on games at Portman Road um it's incredible to think that when they finished in the playoffs they had the joint best home record in the league and Portman Road was that clichéd fortress and um the fear factor is is completely gone now um, the Norwich games probably the only one this season where you thought they started really well and, and looked up for it and I don't know why they've not been able to replicate that I don't know whether it's because Mick's instructions are you know match the opposition make sure you stay in the game you know he's talked about oh, I can't I can't risk being a goal or two goals behind within 20 minutes well there's never an attempt to get a goal up or god forbid two goals up inside 20 minutes either um, but that said they they went 1-0 up inside what was it 3 4 minutes against Rotherham and uh, you know that didn't that that didn't make a difference to the result over, over the piece um And so you know I've spoken to Mick about do you need fast starts at Portman Road to, to get the fans on site? Because I do sense that the fans, regardless of how fed up many of them are, they still turn up wanting to get behind the team and I, I don't blame the fans. I don't think they turn up. I've been to other grounds across the country, wolves, West Ham, Leeds, where I think some of the fans are you know very critical for, it doesn't take much to turn a crowd. You go to places like that and, the grounds where you think if we keep them quiet today we can we can turn their fans against them i don't think ipswich fans are like that i, I think they generally turn up even when times are tough wanting to get behind the team and, and and there's always that debate about whose responsibility is it to get who going does does the crowd whip up the players or is it the responsibility of the players to get the fans going i think ipswich fans turn up desperate to to have something to get behind and, and the team has to take responsibility and, and provide that for them and, and they've just not done that enough recently.
0: We're almost up to the, uh, the January transfer window. Now where's the, the time gone already? This is our, our 15th episode of uh, Sleeping Giants this season. But given everything that's gone on, given the fact that Daryl Murphy left the club with not enough time to, to get a replacement for town, even though they were in for a few players that didn't come off for whatever reason and the current club's position as well, do you think that to try and placate the fans, to try and show that Ipswich and Mick and Marcus Evans do mean business, that they're determined to turn this season around, there might be a little loosening of the purse strings come January to show some intent? Do you reckon that Mick might bend his valuation of players if if he really wants somebody... Would he bend his valuation of players to make sure they can get someone in and show to the fans, look, we've listened to you complaining about how we've not signed people at the right times. We understand that. We understand your frustration. So this time we've really gone all out to try and get someone that will bring something extra to the team. Will it happen? Uh,
1: Should it happen? Yes. Will it happen? Not convinced. Uh, You talk about... I think the time to have done it, and this is the biggest frustration of it all, was the year they finished sixth and they went into Christmas absolutely flying and you strengthen from a position of strength I think is always the time to do it and who knows what difference that would have made. Of course they got Freddie Sears, that transfer window, but they were in a position to have done more then. Uh, You think of the impact that Marcus Stewart made as a a mid-season signing um, all those years ago. They didn't do it then, things have stagnated, is this January now the time to do it? Because it, I think it all t- depends on where they are in the table. If they're in danger of getting dragged into a relegation battle, and a few weeks ago that very notion seemed absolutely laughable to me. I mean, if someone had said there'll be, oh, you know, there was a few people saying it then, and I was saying, no chance, not a, not a Mick McCarthy side, not this sort of spirited bunch. For all of their deficiencies, I could see no way of that, but negative momentum can can snowball big time and um so if if they're in any danger at that end of the table then i think they might have to go out and pay over the odds to get someone but if they're sort of still just rumbling along winning one losing one drawing one in mid table i don't see that as the time to go and pay above the odds to get someone because you do pay above the odds in january because people sent your desperation to do it of course there's been no low window this time so that could affect the market people Who've got injuries and things and uh, are all going to be going for the same players. So is January the time to go out and, and splash the cash on a striker? Because realistically, it's not going to if if it's not if it's not needed for a relegation battle and and it's unlikely to suddenly put you in playoff contention. I think depressingly the club might just think, well, now's not the time to do it. We'll just trundle along until the summer and, and reassess the situation then. And and that's. Groundhog Day nature will just continue and ultimately that will be shown in in attendances and going back to fans um, It won't be the people that stay behind and boo that make you know the, have the biggest impact It will be when Marcus Evans sees that another thousand season ticket holders have said no, thank you next year and uh, the empty seats against Forrest of course it was on on TV the crowd was never 15,000. I think a lot of season ticket holders who, who are automatically counted as being there weren't. And, and that's the biggest statement that I think will come across from the fans in, in the weeks and months to come.
0: Very quickly then, what do you think will happen against QPR then? Can you sense a reaction coming in and a good result or is it going to be that negative energy snowballing from Forest?
1: Uh, who knows, uh, as I said to you before, I was I was so confident going into the Forest game. I, I really felt like I'd seen enough positives, not just from the Sheffield Wednesday game, which wasn't a fluke win, by the way. It was a really good away performance, really resolute uh, and clinical. Um, I thought they'd played, well, from, from what, I'd, what I'd seen and what I'd been told, I thought there was enough positives from the, from the Rotherham game as well, regardless of results. So I didn't see last Saturday coming. So... <laughs> Who knows what will happen this Saturday? There's the Ian Holloway factor at QPR. He always has, he's one of these managers in particular that gets that new manager bounce because he's this larger than life character. I remember Ipswich going to Millwall and I think was his first home game there and he'd he'd whipped the den up into a frenzy that day. Millwall won 1-0, but it it was a very comfortable 1-0. He's obviously got the win against Norwich. They're gonna be well up for it. But on the flip side of that, and Mick's been talking about in, this, in his press conference today. He came in and got a one-nil win in his first game in charge, and, and the very next game they lost 5 0 to Palace. So, and six-nil to Leicester a few weeks later. So, um, it, you know, QPR are down there for a reason. They're very much a club that's in a transitional period, still trying to get rid of some big weight, big earners off the books and things. So. Uh, I find it very difficult to give you a prediction, Ed. Who knows? Um, I'd like to think that uh, you know Ipswich do seem to pick up a win when you don't expect it and lose when you don't expect it as well. So uh, we shall see.
0: I'll take that as a (laughs) positive-ish note to end on. That's all we've got time for on this week's Sleeping Giants. We will be back again next week, obviously, to see and have a chat about what happens in the QPR game. Thank you to Stuart for being here again, and thanks for listening.